Coming up on episode 67 of the Upful Life podcast. But then when I was like nine, um, the hearing the guitar work in the Allman Brothers made me want to make that switch from uh, piano to guitar. So started playing guitar um, and I've was progressing pretty quickly so my dad would take me to like blues bars in detroit um to sit in and i started meeting all those like the blues musicians in detroit from like time i was basically 10 11 and then when i was 11 my dad took me to see robert randolph and the family band and and Robert would do this thing where he'd call out um, guitar players from the audience, like, "Hey, who knows how to play guitar?" And um, my dad got everyone in the section to point at me. Robert called me up, and I sat in for like twenty minutes. <laughs> Indeedy, welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 67, coming to you live and direct from my mom's crib in Center City, Philadelphia. Illidelf's illest, all the way live from the 215, you know how we do, just back from Jazz Fest. So grateful you are tuning in. back episode number 67 and it's a little bit different than normal because i'm coming to you from philadelphia unfortunately after jazz fest my mom took a bit of a tumble and fractured her hip emergency hip replacement surgery 
and I hopped on the first thing smoking, headed back to Philly, help her through the next few weeks um, from the surgery and the hospital to the rehab, eventually back to her apartment, hopefully sometime this summer to her beloved Jersey Shore. I just wanted to let folks know that I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants this episode, but I'm going to do my best to bring it to you per usual. I apologize that it's about two weeks late. Um, Obviously, it's been a bit of a hectic time. Uh, Part of that is because I did New Orleans Jazz Fest with my mom. This year, I did uh, Wire to Wire, all of the entire enchilada. My mom came down about halfway through when we did Second Weekend together. She was amazing the whole time. It was really unfortunate that once she got home, she got injured, and it kind of threw both of our summers up in the air. But, of course, I'm here as needed, of course. And I'm not going to let you guys down. We're going to deliver episode 67 and onward and upward. But with that, I want to let everyone know I am so grateful for all the new reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts and even on you know the Podbean app, etc. It's been awesome and really warms the heart. So like I say every week, if you have the time and are so inclined, please rate and review the Upful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. It goes a long way to sending and steering those algorithms in this direction, bringing us new ears, new listeners, new souls. And that, my friends, is a beautiful thing. So, yep, rate and review the pod. You can also reach out to me directly. Send me an email, b.getz at upfullife.com. That's b.getz at upfullife.com. I love to hear from the people. And I get sweet messages with suggestions and reflections and constructive criticisms and people trying to just get involved or have a dialogue. And I really appreciate everybody who listens, everybody who reaches out with a message. And I really, really give thanks to the people who donate and support what I do, whether it be this podcast, the Upful Life podcast, or my writing work, Live for Live Music, or on UpfulLife.com, etc. If that's you, if you're like, hey, I'd like to support you, B., you can just cruise over to UpfulLife.com, click the support button, the top menu, and throw me a couple dollars for making you holler. I do appreciate when I get paid for doing the wild thing. And of course, you can just go into the show notes. There'll be a link there you can click as well. But obviously, I'll continue to put this podcast out free of charge for as long as I'm able to. And the response and energy and reciprocation has been absolutely wonderful, totally humbling. I just did the Jazz Fest down in New Orleans. It's my 19th year. It seemed like everywhere I went, somebody had kind words and dap and lifted up the Upful Life podcast. That really just is an amazing battery in my back to keep at it because this is not easy. It takes a lot of hours. It's just me. I'm a one-man gang. So it goes a long way when I get that love, when I get that energy, when people tell me they listened to this episode or that episode and here's why they loved it. Man, can't put a price on that. It's fucking amazing. And the most recent episode was one of, if not the fastest rising metrically and downloads etc shares on social shout out alana rockland sound tribe sector nine been waiting a long time to talk to somebody from sound tribe and it was beautiful to connect with alana like we did and the response to that pod was 
absolutely unbelievable. So this is my deep bow and gratitude to everybody who tuned in, but especially folks who got behind the Alana Rockland pod. And yeah, I got a lot of notes from people uh, more than usual, different things that they learned or liked or loved or appreciated. So Alana was an open book. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is just get the artists to tell their stories, to talk about their journeys, their heroes, their influences, and also their hardships and obstacles and the methods and, and the uh, pathway to which they overcame and uh, moved forward. Because, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, as we know, and the music often tells the stories of the shit we go through and, and the experiences we have at live music, dancing, soaking in the songs, the relationships we have with the song books. It's all pretty deep stuff, and that's what I'm trying to do here at the Upful Life Podcast. And when I receive the reciprocal messages and the love and people just stopping me in person, um, it's, it's everything to me. So before we get into episode 67, I just wanted to throw that down and let you all know I hear you, I appreciate you, I love you, thank you for listening. And if you're curious about how I got down at the Jazz Fest in New Orleans, look no further than upfullife.com or Live for Live Music because my annual Jazz Fest wrap-up is out. And it's, it's a passion project like none other. It's where it all began for me as a music journalist, really, is going to New Orleans Jazz Festival, going out all night, going to the fairgrounds, and then writing about it. And, and so much of what I do and what I've been fortunate to experience really can trace its roots back to New Orleans and the Jazz Fest. And this year, the article's called Betcha by Golly Wow. Uh, shout out Gabrielle Cavassa. Um, and it's detailed reviews of a dozen or so shows. Another 15 or so just have videos. Um, but I just tried to present uh, a lot of favorites and uh, uh, something off the beaten path and maybe not what you're going to get from some other sites or some other journalists. Really made it my own. And I'm very proud of this year's uh, project. So, betcha by golly, wow. It has a big picture of the nth power with Ivan Neville and Tony Hall dressed as the Gap Band. That show was my unequivocally favorite show of 2023. I waited three years for it. It was supposed to be their annual Jazz Fest tribute in 2020. Pandemic put a pause on it. They had the good sense to hold it back in 2022. And when it hit, late night, first Friday night, Toulouse Theater deep in the quarter, it was a motherfucker. Like, it's rare that you build up a show in your head and your heart for a thousand days and nights dreaming of the dance floor, and then it exceeds those expectations. But that's what the fuck happened here, and I wrote about that, and I used that photograph as the header for a reason. But that's not to slight any of the other artists, not only that I covered, but that performed at the Jazz Fest across the board. I want to shout out Live for Live Music and GMP Live. They did beautiful things down there once again this year. Days Between Fest, Days Between Band, Days by Night, and then like a dozen other shows, including the Nth Power Does the Gap Band. So it was an amazing, heart-filling, rewarding, inspiring, just an incredible jazz fest for number 19 for this guy. And as some of you may remember, last year's jazz fest was a bit of a struggle bus for your boy. 
had to show up late and also got COVID, pulled the plug early. So I kind of uh, was bitter and stewed about that for almost a calendar year. And boy, oh boy, did that pendulum swing back and how. So please, if I just tickled your fancy in any way or you had your own jazz fest and you'd like to compare notes or relive in some capacity, please stop by upfullife.com or live for live music. I'll put the link in the show notes. And this is going to be a very New Orleans-focused Up Full Life podcast. The next couple might even be, because I planted a lot of seeds down there. But one of them is coming to fruition right the fuck right now. So let's get into it. On episode 67 of the Up Full Life podcast, I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy. Welcome guitarist Ari Title to episode 67 of the Up Full Life podcast. Now, oftentimes I'll read the artist bio going in, but we pretty much uh, go through Ari's entire career from his childhood uh, in such a way that it really is, makes no sense to read the artist bio in the intro. And maybe that's something I sh- should consider all the time, but it seemed to really uh, make a whole lot of sense this time. I also talked a bunch on the intro, so we should probably get right to the interview, and you'll learn all about Ari's life and career and journey in the next hour or so. But I will say this, I've had my eyes and ears on what's happening in New Orleans from afar, and a couple times a year in person, and this dude has made himself known and heard in humble ways, yet also uh, clearly shining bright as a I would say a future star but I believe his time is now so uh, Ari's been jamming with a lot of my favorite cats for the better part of five six years now um, and anytime I see a fellow lawnsman out there doing big things 
I almost innately get behind that individual and their endeavors. So uh, this sort of happened organically. Um, I got hip to his solo record. I was familiar with his work with Chawa. I knew he was starting a new band with the Rumble. So I was kind of uh, interested in doing this already. But then when the situation presented itself kind of organically through New Orleans and Jazz Fest and Mutual Peeps, etc., um, it just it happened as it should. So when we tried to do it, uh, while I was down there in New Orleans, but the time is just too stretched thin while we're in the midst of Jazz Fest, and it's rare that you can really carve out the time to do down there. And um, instead of reading the bio, I'm going to play uh, a couple minutes of the title track from Ari Title's solo album, I've Got My Thing, which I'm a huge fan of. It made my favorite albums of 2022 which you can read all about on upfullife.com. With that, let's listen to a little bit of Ari title, I Got My Thing, and then we'll get into a conversation with the man himself on episode 67 of the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy. weeks in the Crescent City, New Orleans for Jazz Fest 2023. It is an honor and privilege and pleasure to touch base with Ari Title, guitarist, holding things down in New Orleans. He's made a few minutes to speak with the Up for Life podcast, and we are grateful. What's up, Ari? Not too much, man. Grateful to be here. Yeah, likewise, man. I know we try to connect while we're down there, but it's so busy for everybody, and any spare time people have, you want to sleep or eat or, you know, play with your dog, whatever. So I think it's better that we took a week or so afterwards and got a chance to kind of regroup and then have a conversation. But it's still kind of fresh in our mind. A lot of people are kind of reliving the Jazz Fest glory. So I think it's kind of perfect, our timing. And uh, that's where I want to start, man. Can you, uh, for people less initiated who either don't go to Jazz Fest or don't have a, a thumb on the pulse of how it works. What is that two weeks like for you as a musician with regard to preparation and shedding all the different material and also like the physiological, like keeping yourself healthy, rested and focused for such when, when people are playing, you know, upwards of 15, 20 gigs inside of two weeks. So give me the, the prep on the music 
and then give me the uh, sort of sustenance and and your routine to stay at your best. Uh, yeah, well, the uh, the staying healthy thing—that's the that's the toughest part. Um, but um, no, start so starting with the music. I think because I live here, I'll play the fest a lot. Like I'll do maybe more fairgrounds gigs than people coming in from out of town to play. Um, because the bands that I just regularly play with will play at the fairground. So, for example, like the church I play with, um, they play at the fairgrounds every year. I do that. I'll play with the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. Um, I play with this great Afro-Cuban percussionist, Alexei Marti, at the fest. Um, and then, of course, with the Rumble. So, um, so that's just four groups that I already play with that I got to brush up on the music for. And then there's all the kind of all-star gigs. So um, that we got to uh, prepare for. Luckily this year wasn't too much uh, learning of, of songs. And I kind of got ahead of it because I was actually um, on a tour with Ivan Neville um, the weekend before jazz fest. So I like I got back from that and then immediately it was rehearsals. So yeah, so then I played with played with Ivan over Jazz Fest. Um and then um I played with the Maple Leaf All Stars. I started doing that um that, I'll call it that half jazz fest. It was like canceled that year, but some of the late night stuff still went forward. So I started playing with the Maple Leaf All Stars. Um which is Ivan Neville, Tony Hall, um, Raymond Weber. One time, Devin Trussclair did it, and then rotating cast of horn players. This year, Carl Denson did it, um, but Skerrick and Ashlyn Parker have done a couple of them with us. Um, so, so yeah, so that's fun, and those guys will sometimes bust out songs that they don't get to play all the time. Like Ivan will sing some some covers that he wouldn't necessarily do with dumpster funk. Um, so I'll have to brush up on that, or he might want to bust out one of his originals from the eighties that he doesn't really play out. Um, and I remember last year, um, Tony sent me some music, like a few hours before the gig was like, yo, Ivan wants to play this tonight. So I'm literally shedding up, up until like the hour before the gig. So yeah, the all-star gig, sometimes it's like we'll come in with some agendas, but um, a lot of times we just kind of get together on what music we already know um, and find common ground with, with that. Yeah, and then uh, sleeping, is that's, that's the tough part because – a lot of nights, like, I'd be done playing at 2, but I couldn't fall asleep till 5. And then I'd have to be up the next morning, like, you know, at 9 or 10. So, yeah, th this year's sleep was a struggle for me. Um, I bet, man. I bet. I saw you in a number of places that at crazy hours, and I didn't even consider how much fairgrounds you did outside of, like, your own thing, the rumble. Um and yeah, those early mornings for the fairgrounds gig on the back end of a late night. And I mean, yeah, you only touched off of a few, man. You, did, you know, there was the stuff tribute, 
There was the yep, yep. Zildjian gig. Like you had a, and I guess the Zildjian gig was kind of the New Orleans songbook. So not too much out of pocket that day, save for maybe a couple tunes. But it just the breadth and the scope of of what you got to be prepared for on a night and even hour to hour basis is is staggering and it's so impressive and so ambitious. And when I see this, you know, and I don't know, I'll call you young. You're younger than the guys you're referencing, a Tony, an Ivan, a Carl D. So you're, you know, you're playing with very seasoned cats that really like, if you, those guys right there kind of like created the Jazz Fest After Dark thing, the Super Jams, the All-Star thing, the New Orleans Funk Songbook, where, whatever the venue, it's like, and so for you to be drafted for something like that in so many combos, and then Ivan to take you on the road out of town, I think it speaks to what, you know, the level that you're at as a player in that language, in that culture. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And the other side of it I really love is the fact that, like, you're a young cat. You're not from there. So, like, obviously uh, the cards are even more stacked against you from jump. So to earn it through your own work and through, like, getting drafted by the by the legends, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see just to watch. That's why I wanted to talk to you. I watched that video of the Maple Leaf show with, with Tony and Ray and Ivan and Carl and you, you know, and it was like, damn fucking getting it so i appreciate you taking us kind of like behind the curtain uh besides sleep what else like uh keeps you at your best to actually perform at this level oh man um trying to lay off the alcohol that's important so i'll try not to like i won't have more than a drink or two um because i don't so I'm not hung over at all or um what else? Um try to eat healthy. Um try to still like get exercise if possible. Um people don't realize that's hard as fuck to do in the town to sleep. Oh hard as fuck. To, to eat right, you know, to like eat really nutritionally. It's not like there's a Whole Foods every six blocks like here in the Bay Area. Like it's hard to find super healthy food at those hours in that city and then exercise where's the time like when are you going to get to the gym when are you going to go for a run you get right the gig, the gig. so it's impressive man and uh and you i don't say you necessarily make it look easy but y'all do it like it's a way of life and it commands respect um but obviously that didn't happen overnight right um so let's go back in the wayback machine you weren't born and raised in new orleans uh so from Detroit area, as I understand it, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's go back there. Like, uh, how young were you uh, when you first, you know, picked up a guitar or played music at all? And what are your like embryonic memories, whether it be a song or an album or a performance that kind of like sticks out in like young Ari's memory? Um. Let's see. All right. So I started playing piano when I was four. 
and the teacher was very like strict classical she was from uh she was from poland and i didn't really vibe with that um you know then around when i was like seven eight my dad started kind of exposing me to what he was into which was like a lot of almond brothers the band uh the dead uh dylan um you know shit that jewish dads like to listen to um yeah what else uh, I miss the band Almond Brothers Dead. Oh, Hendrix. There was some like Hendrix and, and Stevie Ray Vaughan in there. Um, my mom likes singer songwriter stuff. Um, but I do remember when I was young, she had the um, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell CD and um, well, he's Jackson 5, like best of. So I was hearing like a bit of the Motown stuff. And then Stevie and Aretha, I'm like, so I, I don't know. I've, some of that Motown stuff, like the guitar chances, I don't know. It's kind of ingrained in me because I heard it young or like James Jamerson's bass playing. That just like always um, stuck out to me. But then maybe when I was like eight or nine, um, my dad... Well, he brought home a Derek Trucks band CD. At the time, like Derek was fairly young too. So my dad was super hyped on him. He would always go see Derek when I was a kid. And I was too young to get into the shows normally. And then finally, once when I was, I was like 15, I saw him at a, um, all ages venue. Um, but so anyway, so he was taking me to the shows. He'd take me to see the Almond Brothers when they'd come to town. Um, Los Lobos. Um, he took me to see like Humphreys. Um, when I was twelve, so I just I had this love and appreciation for live music. But um, sorry if I'm jumping around a bit. But then when I was like nine, um, the hearing the guitar work in the Almond Brothers made me want to make that switch from uh piano to guitar so started playing guitar um and i was progressing pretty quickly so my dad would take me to like blues bars in detroit um to sit in and i started meeting all those like the blues musicians in detroit from like the time i was basically 10 11 and then when I was 11, my dad took me to see Robert Randolph and the family band. And and Robert would do this thing where he'd call out um, guitar players from the audience like, hey, who knows how to play guitar? And um, my dad got everyone in the section to point at me. Robert called me up and I sat in for like 20 minutes.
like first the the guitar tech went to like take away the guitar after the and Rob was like, no, 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 keep them up. So played like two or three songs with them, and um, it was all on video. He uh, he picked me up and put me on a chair. Um, some people found out about the video and um been wasn't like quite viral but um the people who ran a festival called arts beats and eats in detroit which was fairly big um i'd i'd equate it to like french quarter fest like it was a lot of local talent but they'd bring in some uh some bigger acts like you might have santana or bb king or buddy guy um so the guy who uh ran that um I, I guess i got his attention and they had me like sit in with a bunch of artists there no no one huge but um that was kind of my foray in the plan professionally then they um there's this thing called motown winter blast which was their winter festival and they asked me to put a band together so i got my friend um Amir that played drums and he still he plays a lot of gospel now but he works with um I don't know if you've heard of Will Sessions Detroit band yeah they remade Nas Illmatic instrumentally I have have this compact disc of it dude amazing band carry on so Amir so Amir uh drums with Will Sessions um, ever and also the accomplished keyboard player in the gospel world. So he, um, so I had, and we were the same age, grew up in the same place, and um, he, um, he was always kicking my ass musically, and he was, you know, he was raised in the church. Him and his mom would bring me to their church every now and then and expose me to that side of, of music. And he got into um, to lettuce when we were like in high school. So, because he was like this dude was thirteen, and bands were taking him out like out of town to do festival hits. He was playing with like jam bands um, and stuff. So he uh, so he got into like watching Deutsch play drums and turned me on to that to that thing. Um, and so and we had a band together called the Jam Society, like till the end of high school. Um, and then like on our first gig, um, dude, Ian Finkelstein, who also, he works with a lot of, um, jazz and electronic artists, also Will Sessions too. Um, but he's kind of, um, who, who else does he play with? Esperanza Spalding um and he was kind of a virtuoso that was like five years older than me at the time um so yeah so there were some some kids around my age that were playing music at a high level and then end of high school i get into the um detroit uh symphony orchestra civic jazz ensemble and all the teachers in that were like real heavy jazz guys on the detroit scene um and that really got got me into the into that and made me want to go study jazz in college 
Um, so, so that you'd have like the teachers and then they'd had mentors that were college students at, um, university of Michigan, Michigan state and Wayne state. And, um, I ended up going to Michigan state where, um, the faculty was like really heavy bebop guys. Um, so you had Rodney Whitaker, who was in the Roy Hargrove quintet, and um, jazz at Lincoln Center with Wynton Marsalis. Um, just played with everyone. Uh, he he was in the Terrence Blanchard, Donald Harrison quintet. So he was the director, and he was a big mentor to me. Um, first guitar professor they had was Perry Hughes, who played with like Bob James and uh, Ronnie Laws. And was friends with George Benson, like one of the baddest guitar players. So I kind of came up under him. And then Randy Napoleon was the next guitar teacher. Etienne Charles, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was on the faculty. Um, his awesome, like, world music with world jazz type stuff is from Trinidad. Badass trumpet player and composer. So I studied arranging and composition with him. So yeah, I had some really awesome teachers. But then while I was in college, I was going down to Detroit to gig with like heavy blues and funk people in the city. So I started playing with um like my going into my senior year of college. I was gigging with uh, Thornetta Davis, who thorns like the heavy Detroit singer it was like if i uh like when, when i was around town if i just said oh, i play with thornetta they're like all right you're in like like you know they like that was the kind of like oh now now they know i can i can somewhat play um so i was playing with thornetta she just got um won a blues music award for best soul blues vocalist um, but she had sang back up with like on Kid Rock albums um, and like with Bob Seger and um, yeah, it was she's just a badass. Um, so I played in her band and that band, it required you to play like some jazzy material. She'd go all the way to like Prince, Aretha. And then you're playing like different eras of blues, you're playing like Bessie Smith, you're playing BB King, um, and even like Janis Joplin. Like she liked to sing everything. I I guess I had experience playing um, a lot of styles of music, so like the, so the versatility was like that was kind of ingrained in me pretty early on. Um, 
let's see, Larry McRae, I started um, working with him, and he's also kind of like a mentor on guitar. He's one of the baddest uh, blues, blues rock guitar players, like, ever. If if y'all don't know about Larry McRae, you better look him up. He was, he was the first person to um, record Soul Shine. Warren Haynes wrote Soul Shine. Larry recorded it first. Just like my papa used to say, he used to say the soul shine. The This is all like schooling us. So I appreciate, I just want to interject with, I appreciate the brick by brick because I'm going to lay some examples in between as you go there. So feel free to dig as deep as needed to, to lay the path. Carry on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so Larry and Thornetta, like to this day, very, very heavy. Like if you talk to real blues people, connoisseurs, they will, they will know those names. So yeah, playing with Thornetto definitely got me some cred around Detroit. Um, I would work with this drummer, RJ Spangler, and he'd put me in all sorts of bands. He, he would lead like a, a blues band, do like a jazz organ trio thing, and then a nonette doing like swing music. Um, and he'd have me playing like jump blues. So I was getting exposed to all these different, like really specific musical styles and this is all when i'm in college like going back and forth to detroit to gig and then i would say most importantly i started playing with skeeto valdez who was uh he was a drummer in the trey anastasio band i remember yeah so skeeto's like detroit stalwart like you need a badass drummer, you call Skeeto. Yeah, it was like right before Ray Weber, Skeeto had a, a, he was in that window of Trey Band. I do remember, but I don't yep, have a great yep. frame of reference. I think I saw two shows with Skeeto. So that's so cool that he comes into the mix because he's sort of been like a, a cat we've always wondered about. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to tell, tell us more about Skeeto. People have long been curious where he came from and whatever came of him. Oh, yeah. So Skeeto, I know he, before Trey, he was in this, in kind of indie rock band with a cult following called King Conga. And I think, and they had Rick Beato producing them and Rick was producing Trey. Trey was trying out all these drummers that weren't working out. And, I th and Rick was like, Hey, I'm working with this 
guy in another band. I think I think you'll dig him. So Trey heard him and was like, "Yeah, cool." Um, so Esquito was like fairly old when he got that gig, but he was but like in Detroit, kind of a musical legend. Um, in the sense that, like, you go to Skeeto's gigs, that's the musicians aren't going to be there. Like, you know, ski, like seeing Skeeto in Detroit would be like seeing, like, Russell Batiste in New Orleans. Like, you're going to, like, people are showing up to see that. So I, I started playing with Skeeto, like, on gigs here and there when I was, like, 19. But then... My junior year of college, he started putting me on his own gigs. And that was, and we would play like groove shit, jazz punk stuff, rock, blues, everything. player on those gigs was Paul Randolph who played with Jazzanova and he's now with uh Mark Farner worked with Alice Cooper dude can sing his ass off and one of the funkiest bass players and he actually Paul played bass on both of my albums dope musician um and then has like his own house career like he does so a lot of house music heavy so these are like heavy Detroit guys that I'm starting to play with when I'm 20. And then by playing with them, that's like the musicians are coming to those gigs. I started, I would say I was like getting my legitimacy in Detroit when I was like 20, 21. And then I graduated college and uh, moved to New Orleans. Okay. So give me the your graduation year just for frame of reference. Uh, college. college. 20, 2016. Okay, copy that. Word. Well, dude, first of all, that's an amazing multi-hued path from, you know, piano as a kid. And, and there were so many uh, parallels in the early part of your story. I started playing with a very strict classical piano teacher. I didn't switch to guitar. So I played strict classical for like a decade. And then I got to see Jerry when I was young. And then all of a sudden I wanted to jam and you know, I played music for a while, but it's very similar to yours in that I was very drawn to the the sort of like dead almonds stuff first. And that sort of like opened up all the, the whole new worlds. And and I just not as so much as a musician, but just as like a young Jewish kid, the parallels, the, the doors of perception that we traveled through were very similar and and inevitably landed us in the same music community. But what I really enjoyed, I mean, I enjoyed your whole journey and especially talking about, I, I'd read about the Robert Randolph thing. Was Schmeen's a guitar player in the family band at that time? He was, yeah. Oh, dude, that is so cool. So many, so many, and then Amir and Will Sessions. I'll never forget my boy Edo out here in the Bay who hit me. Little, he's like, yo, this band is like remaking Illmatic, you know, which is like the 
at the, one of the greatest rap albums of all time. So it's a ballsy thing to do. And, and that's how I got hip to Will Sessions and to think that Amir from that band was was an early player and connection for you and your journey. And when we talked Detroit, I mean, I just did a whole pod with a lot of Detroit because of the Dilla book. I had the author, Dan Charnas of Dilla Time. Yeah, yeah. Awesome and, book. Yeah, incredible. And so much Detroit in there. So it's it's su- such a, just a, the depth from Motown up through electronic. And now you're taking us to the blues and the jazz and the funk roots and just black music in general is such an important city for that. And it kind of doesn't get quite the attention that some of the other music cities in this country do for black music and music in general. So the fact that you, you know, were schooled and taken under the wing of, of these folks, these pivot, and then you get to Michigan State and you have these like esteemed teachers and world music and jazz and composition and arrangement and like all these bricks that you're building as a musician and as, as like a seeker. Um, it's just impressive and almost cosmic, the alignment. And, you know, when you mentioned Jazzanova, it's like, holy fuck, man, I love Jazzanova. I have for so long. I would have never figured that anybody involved in that picture had a role in your journey and, and your and your come up, minor or not. Just speaks to the sort of uh, symbiotic nature of the community of musicians and wherever. Oh, man. No, it was, I mean, it's, it was definitely an honor. And I think, like, Detroit it's such an underground scene that it doesn't get the deten- attention you deserve. Like you didn't know where Skeeto has been, man. He's still out there gigging all the time. Yeah. Kind of a lot of people came through his band and went through the, the school of Skeeto. And that was kind of a good, kind of mutual connection to Tony Hall. Cause they were right in the tray band together. So things kind of went, came full circle. I play with Tony a lot, and I and I got a lot of um, a lot of my musical opportunities down here um, came from, or just in general, kind of came from Tony. Um, and did Tony did Tony and you connect by way of you playing with Skeeto back up in the day? No, this this is a funny story actually. So I had I came down, I met Tony, and told him, "Yeah, play with your boy Skeeto." And he was like, all right, cool. Then one day Tony was playing at the Leaf, and this was when Andrew Block was playing in his band. So Block invited me up to sit in, and I played. And Tony, so we get off stage, and Tony said, man, he said, you told me you could play. He said, you told me you played. He said, why didn't you tell me that you could play like that? And, and I don't like speaking about you know, myself like, like that, uh, obviously, but, and then he started, um, you know, calling me for, for all his gigs and, you know, getting introduced to people in his sphere. You know, he got me with the Maple Leaf All-Stars thing, got me, you know, playing with like people like Ivan Neville more. He would, you know show me some things on guitar because he's he's a badass guitar player too so yeah so i kind of like came through the like like a lot of other young guitarists in new orleans go through that uh the tony school a lot of musicians in general definitely drummers too Um, 
Yep. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, those guys will, will they'll put you in, through the ringer, you know, with with love, of course, but you know, because they want you to succeed. Everybody ready? Going to the levee? Going to see the super queen? Shake a little booty, smoke a little mooder, eat a plate of red beans. Welcome, welcome. But yeah, you know, guys like who are closer to my age, like uh, Devin Trusclair and um, Alvin uh, Ford, they definitely went through the the, the school of dumpster. Um, oh, yeah. And Yano is yeah. pretty young and he plays with Tony. You know? Yeah, yeah, Yano's Yano's another guy who we kind of have have similar musical paths, and um, yeah, a lot of the same gigs. It was like, yeah, you guys have good chemistry, you know. I noticed that with the stuff gig and the Tony stuff, and I, I just seen you on stage a bunch together. In this yeah, event. no, we just got hours of of playing together. So we yeah, and we would play in um. We played an Eric Bloom's band together too. Sonic Bloom, right? So yeah, it? so we were kind of like in the tail end of Sonic Bloom, and then when it became Benny and the Late Bloomers, right. then it was like we were a, the band was officially me, Eric Vogel, Brad Walker, Yano, and then AJ Hall, sometimes Alvin Ford or uh or Alfred Jordan. So that was kind of like the end of Bloom living in New Orleans. And then he'd come back and, you know, we'd, we'd do some gigs here and there. You know, especially coming out of the pandemic, there are a lot of kind of pop-up shows where it might be like me, Nigel, Kevin Scott when he was living here, um, and like, you know, insert badass drummer, you know. One of the things I'm really trying to do is is shine a light on the next generation of cats that we're talking about here, the people that you play with, the people that you, this new wave and i think it was pretty ballsy for you to leave you know the cozy confines of detroit musically speaking you're playing with all the cats right and you went to the mecca you went to new orleans and you set up shop down there after college so um we've talked a little bit about your community down there but how about the decision like was it an easy decision did you agonize over it did you struggle at first when you landed down there um, just, t just take me through the I I'm moving to New Orleans chapter. Um, 
Yeah, Detroit, I, I felt like there wasn't – I felt like I had gotten all the gigs that I could get in Detroit. Um, and at the, at the time – Detroit, mind you, took a lot longer than the rest of the country to kind of get out of the recession. It's like the recession, I would say, started earlier in Detroit, um, like with, you know, layoffs and, and you'd see – going out of business signs like all this was like before 08 or 07 that was because um the manufacturing industry was just in decline there and it took longer for it to rebound and i think 2016 it still hadn't like the money it wasn't flowing in the city like it is now where i think now there's kind of more young people moving to the cities like it's kind of I mean, unfortunately, been kind of gentrified. Um, but if there's a positive to that, um, there's um, there's that music's kind of flourishing a little more now. I'm I'm seeing more young musicians, especially like people doing this kind of jazz, hip hop, R and B, EDM fusion, um, like just young black creatives crushing it um so yeah that that i that wasn't really happening yet when i was that's like i feel like the scene has just kind of started getting back together in the last few years so i needed a fertile scene to be a part like because um i wanted to make a living playing playing music live um and LA, I didn't. It was an expensive city. Um, New York, I didn't really feel like was my my vibe, nor was Nashville. Um, and I felt like with the kind of my musical inclinations that New Orleans was kind of the spot because I, you know, I like to play jazz, I like to play funk, R and B, soul. Um, and I was able to play like everything. I moved down. Um, so I'd even get to play some more like dead stuff with Papa Molly or, um, you know, played with like Herlin Riley a little bit and more like jazz kind of, kind of stuff. Um, and I don't, I don't really think I could do that in another city. Also like all these, musicians that we're talking about they're, they're people i look up to um so yeah i, I think it, it just made a lot of sense um to move to new orleans and i kind of got down at a time where um some people like like danny abel shortly after i moved down he was he started playing with tank of the bangos or um you know, Raja would be out with Antibalas. Uh, Block was playing with Russ Liquid. He was so I started kind of getting um, the calls that they that they were getting, like um, playing in Bloom's band, playing with Tony, or um, you know, playing with the Treme Funk Tet, um, Erica Falls, like people, people like that. Um, I would play a lot with um or not a lot, but when when the band happens, 
Um, Terrence Higgins' band, he's also another guy that kind of helped introduce me to people and, and put me on some, some gigs. I fucking love yeah. Grease as a player. Like, love Grease. I feel like he needs to be mentioned with the Cats. So, big up. Oh, no, he absolutely is. And he's, um, yeah, no, and he and he's definitely gotten some, like, huge gigs as, as of late, like, doing the big Willie Nelson um, 90th birthday thing at, at Hollywood Bowl. Um, but, yeah, he he's another guy that was, like, real generous to me. And um, he, yeah, he, he called me for, like, one of my first big kind of Jazz Fest late night shows. Um, same with same with uh, Eric Bloom, and these were guys that also like turned me on to different music, um, and and stuff like like exposed me to to different stuff. And again, it just speaks to the depth and breadth of uh, what you bring to the table that you can get all those calls for those cats that were out, and and kind of create your own mythos and mystique in that city uh and as your peers are out doing other stuff you had fortuitous timing great relationships obviously the music the the talent the ingenuity the style the taste and you're humble you said it you know you're not telling people how good you are you just show up to the gig and then they find out and and word travels and i think that you know i remember when dice first was super hype on you and and he's like my north star so that's the ultimate cosign and he's always you know just saw you sit in with the uh quartet the other night at the end of fest on sunday at the nile it's not just the new orleans cats thinking of you that way the national cats some full circle shit you know you found lettuce when you were kind of just getting down and now you know you're one of very few guests to to grace adam's stage that night you know and and Benny, I mean, dude, Benny is probably one of the greatest soloists I've ever heard. Just uh, the way he puts together thoughts and, and phrasings and ideas is is unbelievable. And he, he's, for him to be that high on you, uh, also speaks volumes to me and, and a lot of my listeners. Let's talk about I Got My Thing, because, you know, we're talking about you playing a bunch of gigs with other cats, right? Like yeah. their gigs or you're a sideman or you're a super jam all star, etc. But this is literally called I Got My Thing. Yeah, the, 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 that's kind of like what um, I guess the ethos behind that was like, um, I'm, I'm playing with all these other people like do people really know my musical voice uh i had been playing with chawa for a while and it was i made this album kind of on right after i quit chawa so that informed some of the music um and then um 
Yeah, I was playing, you know, I think people around town kind of know me as like more of a funk guitar player. Um, but I wanted to bring kind of a R&B singer songwriter vibe because that's, you know, I'm into that a lot. And that, that music um, is really special to me, really resonates um, with me. Actually, one of the albums that informed that I'm wearing the t-shirt or um marvin gay i want you so i was like i was mining that music like marvin gay leon ware bobby womack um like mid-70s soul um philly soul stuff um and then also like i love 90s r&b um you know D'Angelo, Maxwell, uh, Badu. Um, I I named my dog Badu, so def, def, definitely into that. Um, yeah, and then like you know, I kind of wanted almost like a hip hop thing happening with the drums, like a la what D'Angelo was doing, kind of. some of the the elements of the 60s and 70s and putting them with you know that the boom bap drums um and then i wanted to kind of take that and and bring it up to date so um that's that's pretty much what i got my thing um encapsulates and i used um jameson ross played drums on uh most of the album and Jameson, also another guy who's kind of been um, a mentor to me, the big brother. Um, and I toured with Jameson's band in Europe, like a, like a little before the pandemic. So got to learn a lot from him. And he's just um, a really, really deep dude, no, really, really wise uh, beyond his years. So I, you know. He's someone I've learned a lot from. Um, I had Paul Randolph um, back from Detroit. He came in, played bass on most of the record. And then um, Nigel played keys on most of the record. And Nigel also, you know, learned a lot from hanging and playing with him. Who else? Kendrick Marshall played organ on one song. Who's, he's uh, He plays with Big Sam's Funky Nation, but he's kind of like, a legend in the uh, church scene down here. Really one of my favorite keyboard players. Simon Lott played drums on a track. I love him. Simon Lott is awesome. Simon is freaking awesome. Um, one of my favorite drummers. Yeah, so Simon played, played on a track. One song, I played all the instruments. And then on the title track, I played keys myself. 
You play me like a fiddle Ever since I met your ass Can't even do a hate diddle Hate it's something the past You threw all your laundry on me You took up my time if you know what you did to my mind played out john michael bradford who's been playing with dumpster funk lately he's one of the um he's a little younger than me i started playing with him when i moved here he was still at berkeley but he was like he was home for the summer and um he's he's out there crushing it playing with everybody um just phenomenal musician and his own um, band is great too jam yeah band. Yep, and I play with I play with them sometimes. Oh, word! Um, yeah, I just yep. listened to the single the other day. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Yep, he he does some awesome stuff. Uh, he played my wedding. He was in my wedding band. That's one oh, of the wow. ones. Yeah, Ashlyn, <laughs> Alex, and and John Michael. Bradford. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they were playing with Dumpster. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just said yeah. Nikki, bring a band, make it cool, and that was the horns. I was so grateful. Yeah, they were badass. So, uh, so that's a hell of a that's a hell of a band for your debut record. Well, so I actually put out an album before that when I okay. was in, uh, finishing college. So I rec- I recorded my senior year of college with Skeeto, um, Paul Randolph, and then Phil Hale, who's a Detroit guy, uh, played keys on it. But, but I needed to make um something that reflected, you know. All the, all the growth I had since then, because I've you know I've changed a lot since you know as as both a, a person and and went through a lot that you know had to be reflected in the music. We're in it to win it, we're in it together. We're playing for the dream team. talk about going through stuff and and it being reflected in the record and i thought maybe we could connect some dots here because a lot of stuff uh was written about chawa when you were in that band and you were the musical director and you were grammy nominated there was a lot of momentum i can remember seeing y'all perform at like the crawfish fest i want to say one of the early years and and uh at the fairgrounds and and seeing you guys take it around the country and around the world and and that you know, was something you had a major hand in. It wasn't a sideman thing. I mean, you're listed as musical director and uh, and it was something that was appeared to be a major priority for you. And then, uh, you know, you left that band, as you mentioned, and you put a lot of the energy and feelings and emotions and experiences through that whole journey, the rise, fall, split into I Got My Thing. But then you also got another thing in the rumble. So... I think folks, fans, you know, no, but I'm not a drama pod. Like I told you, it's not gotcha journalism. I'm not here to say he said, she said, 
But at the same time, when you see somebody walk away from something so successful, what appeared to be from the outside looking in abruptly or, or uh, uh, people are curious. And now we see you doing something in the same vein with some new faces um, and you got a solo album in between. So, yeah, take me through that roller coaster as much or as little as you want to share about all that shit. Yeah, I guess I left that out. I started playing with Chawa like three months after I moved to New Orleans. I moved to New Orleans August 2016. I was playing with Chawa starting November of that year. At that time, Raja was kind of Raja had been playing guitar with them, and he started phasing out to to do other stuff. So I started playing with them. My the trumpet player in the Rumble, Aurelian Barnes, he recommended me. We had he went to Tulane, and I had been friends with his roommate from Detroit, um, Aaron Cohen, and I was playing with. Aaron a bit too when I first moved to New Orleans. So Aurelian brought me into the room. Oh, sorry, into Chawa. Um, and we were at first, it was like a lot of weekend runs to the Carolinas or Texas. We do like Antones and Continental Club. Um, and then the band just somehow kept getting bigger and it was kind of, I I guess I would say I don't think the band leader was prepared for all the success that was starting to build up. So we had gotten a Jameson sponsorship that was kind of big. Um, then um, we did some showcases um, where like world music showcases in New York and Montreal where we were like highly acclaimed and Rolling Stone wrote about us. And this prompted like agents to start going after us and booking us on, like we played Montreal Jazz Fest. Like we headlined the main stage one night in front of like 20,000 people. Um, it was pretty crazy. And this was like on, this is right after the Grammy nomination. So I imagine this is taking up like all your time at this point it it, it is completely oh, a, a significant amount yeah i start so i started as a musical director i want to say winter 2018 when we did a tour with dirty dozen brass band it was clear like there needed to be more leadership in the band and i be- i became that guy so i was arranging a lot of the music, putting the show together, putting the set list together. And then eventually I'm hiring the musicians. So I brought in Yano into the band. Um, then Aurelian, who wasn't playing with us at the time, we needed to kind of expand the horn section. I brought him back in. Then we had 
we had sousaphone then we were transitioning to use bass guitar instead of sousaphone because it kind of we were kind of getting away from like a brass band vibe to a more funk thing we had i brought tj norrison who's a bass player in the rumble who was actually the trombone player in dirty dozen brass band like multi-talented guy um badass singer so i brought tj in but also Isaac Eady, who plays drums with Tedeschi Trucks, actually played bass on most of the My People album. This next song, y'all, we got is written by my man Aurelian Barnes over here on the trumpet and my man Andrew Nowski over on the keys, y'all. It's entitled My People, which is the title track for the upcoming Chawa album, y'all. So I kind of brought all these people into the fold, and then um, so we got the Grammy nomination for Spy Boy. That was only Jose, the trombone player, and I were on that, but then we did My People, and I, by that time, I had a much larger role in the band. Um, I was writing songs. I was uh, in Yano and Aurelian and um, the singers, uh, Juwan Boudreau and Joseph Boudreau, were doing a lot of the writing too. Um, but I was essentially steering the ship. Um, I was the I was the point person talking to all the guys. Well, Joe was be dealing with some other so like some personal stuff or what have you so i kind of became uh the sh the shoulder to cry on if if you will um because i was i was also co-producing my people with andrew block um and all the scheduling and that kind of thing and you know going between the band leader and and band members that that was all me um and that was a super stressful time um in my life that was that was before the pandemic but dealing with essentially steering the ship that took its toll on me um and i kind of got yeah I, I won't get into that but it was emotionally really tough so that so then 2021 we tour the record Joe went home from the tour, the, the band leader slash drummer, um, to deal with some some personal family things. And then Trenton O'Neill, who's the drummer in the Rumble, he came, filled, played the rest of the tour. And it went from being one of the toughest tours to being the most like fun tour ever. And we were just fucking killing it every night 
This was in Col- – so we played Durango, Colorado. We did like a 45-minute encore because the crowd, the crowd literally didn't let us leave the stage. Like we did the first encore, we got off, and the crowd just stood there waiting for us to play more. We're like, all right, I guess we're playing more, and we're having like the time of our life. So that was kind of, I would say that was really the moment where we're like, all right, we need to play this music our way. We're all really good friends here and, and this dynamic we have with each other. So, so Trent, the drummer we brought in, was like our age, came up in like the same camps as the trumpet player. Him and Yano would play together all through college. Me, him, and the bass player had a band to get together together. All this chemistry was ha- was happening, and um, we get we get home from the tour. We played a couple final gigs as Chawa with Joe moved the percussion. Trent played drums, and then when Joe was kind of itching to get back behind the kit, we kind of said, uh, "Well, we want to." move forward with with Trent and start our own band. Not only that, but also the with Chawa, um there was no um Mardi Gras Indian ownership of the band. So it's like these guys are creating the culture that we're selling out on the road, but they have no ownership. Like the black New Orleanians, there was there was literally no black ownership. And this is like quintessentially black new orleans indigenous music so we are so the rumble are like we need to make a majority black owned band where they have where the culture bearers have decision making power um so they were essentially like powerless with chawa it was like if you read stories about chawa the emphasis was never on like the black masking culture it was on like the how Joe started the band, so we wanted the we needed to flip the script and do it um do things our way. So all seven of us, besides Joe, quit started the Rumble, um, which was like a really a, a leap of faith because people told us you know we had to start from scratch and stuff. It's it's been a little over the year. We're doing a full tour. We're putting like Telluride, Blues and Brews. We're dropping um May nineteenth to um putting our uh live record made at the Maple Leaf out. Um, you know, we're getting press doing all this stuff that 
we thought was impossible. We got booking and management um, and really built this, what I think is a, a special group. I love it, man. I appreciate you taking it there. There's a lot to unpack. It's chemistry with the players. It's intention. It's responsibility. It is, you know, doing the, quote, right thing. It's the level of stress. I mean, there were so many factors, but it felt really organic when you told the story, you know, in terms of, you know, the chemistry of the band and making a collective decision. And the fact that it was a principled stand for, you know, black masking culture and ownership, because let's, you know, we can't beat around the bush. The Indian aspect of both Chawa and the Rumbles is visually and energetically the focus and the, the foundation and what makes y'all different from the average funk band coming from that yeah. city. So talk to me about the ownership. So that's the thing as a collective, we all, we all have equal ownership. And it's um, majority black. No, you know, me, me and Yano are the, we're the token Jews and, um, <laughs> but we, you know, only make up, you know, not even a third of the band. So. Man, that's a portrait of a better tomorrow, man. With all this shit that's being the culture wars and the bullshit and everything that's going on for y'all to, from the ashes of something that felt unfair or not in alignment, as the uh, New Agers say out here, you know, with reference to Chawa, it was not in alignment with your chemistry and your ideals um, to find something, create something, and then, you know, stand behind it. I see you walking around town with a big old crown. You think you look pretty. What's well, in your spot, boy? I was about to go down, cause it's my city. See, I'm an uptown ruler. And I'm gonna bring it to you here. The big sheep walking down the street. You can't hide from me. in the band and has a lot to offer and then on the business end we all split up the responsibilities so some people might be on the merch side some people handling social media um i'll work more in in contact with me and tj with with the booking you know um tj handles get, like advancing shows and in tech stuff um you know everyone's like really stepped up to the plate and um and and in this band like the current situation i don't really need to be the musical director because everyone can kind of you know handle their own station i think i couldn't say the same thing about chawa um that takes the pressure off you you know as as yeah, a sort of like absolutely you're not a traffic cop anymore you're not responsible for everybody's emotional baggage communication it's a lot comes off your shoulders that allows you to be 
better at what you do. And I, I know you got sound check coming up and we went over an hour, but I do think this is a good place to land the ship. Uh, I don't want to keep you from getting where you need to be. And also we left enough on the table that we can come back and do this again in a year or 18 months and see uh, what's up. But uh, I always finish up with uh, where should people look for all things RE title and what is the next thing you got happening that you want to tell people about? Uh, let's see. So the Rumble Live album, that's uh, that's out. By, by the time this comes out, this album will be on uh, all platforms. Uh, my album still is, you know, under a year old. Um, you can check that out. Ari Title, Spotify. Um, AriTitleMusic.com is my web. Sorry, my website. Um, I don't do the best job updating that, but uh, Instagram is always good, good place to to get in touch with me and, and see what I'm doing. Um, follow, different follow the Rumble, uh, the get together, another project I have. Hopefully, we'll be putting out um some new stuff. Let's see. Um, I just played on a song for. Uh, PJ Morton that I, I've heard is coming out on the Twinkie Clark album. Y'all make some noise for Twinkie Clark! Which should be pretty badass. We did one of her songs. Um, or it's like some Twinkie Clark tribute, I think, coming out on Sony. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to, to hearing how that came out. Let's see what what else. Um, Rumble Studio album. Well, that that's gonna come out eventually. Uh, but we're touring um really hard this summer. So we're doing um June and July on our own, and then August we're teaming up with Tab Benoit um to do a tour, and that's gonna end at Telluride Blues and Brews. Um, we're also we're hitting Shikori Hills in North Carolina, that uh, awesome festival, um, and Moonshiners Ball. That's like Galactic and Neil Francis are doing that. Yeah, so we're we're basically traveling uh, up up till the new. We we have stuff booked all the way through uh, March twenty twenty four. So we pretty much are playing consistently. I'm not. I'm not gonna have. I'm not gonna have very many breaks. And I'm getting married in February, 2024. So it's gonna be a pretty freaking crazy year. Yeah, Mazel. That's beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I just got married myself, as I mentioned. I, I realized you Mazel. put the record out. You put the record out the day before I got married. Oh wow. Yeah, we got married on 11/11, and I realized uh, you put out the album right before that. But it still snuck into my best of the year. Um, I'm going to put all those links, your Instagram, the Spotify, the Rumble, and the album, all in the show notes so people can get hip to what you're up to. And anytime we can help, when you're putting out the studio album, holler, we'll get some words up about it. I'll always play some songs and shit. So yeah, you're going to be like the Jazz Fest pod episode coming up next. So Oh man, beautiful. Representing on the on behalf of that great city. Dude, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And, all that, and uh, I will send you a uh, a link to the to the Rumble Live record. It comes out tomorrow, so you'll get a little bit of an advanced listen.
wish I had I said I wasn't gonna prove it But you're coming in hot So I switched the plan I said I wasn't gonna use it But I got a little secret that they wish they had Say I'm an Indian ruler I see Taki Mofino We bust that ass conversation and getting to know him just a bit better getting to know his career his journey future is clearly bright for my man so give thanks for the time and the energy spent chatting with us and i couldn't resist with the rumble and dropping the skrillex and fred again john just a guilty pleasure but now slid into a little bit of in this life funky New Orleans style tune from Ari's most recent LP I Got My Thing we heard a little bit of the title track during the interview I really love the title track I really love this song and the whole record hits it's not one of my favorite records of the year 2022 and uh, I'm going to do the Vibe Junkie Jam uh, right now even though we got a segment coming up afterwards keeping with the NOLA flow I've been waiting so long for that Nth Power show, doing the Gap Band, that I'm going to play Burn Rubber from the performance. Thanks to Randy for the tape, the soundboard matrix. I've got the whole show. If you want to hit me up on the uh, email, I'll slide you a link to listen to the whole gig. But for the Vibe Junkie Jam, like we usually do at the end of the podcast, we're going to play it right now. Keep those... Crescent City vibes flowing. This is the nth power with members of Dumpster Funk and more friends from all over. Cliff Porter on percussion and vocals, Amy Bellamy on keys, and a five piece horn section, elite horn section, uh, led by Alex Vasili and Ashlyn Parker from Dumpster Funk, Ashlyn Parker from Dumpster Funk, among others. You can check out all the players, all the stats, all the deets. If you want to check out my article on Live for Life Music or UpfulLife.com, it's called Betcha by Golly Wow. And it's about Jazz Fest 2023. So we're going to play you this version of Burn Rubber, Gap Band Classic from the Nth Power and Friends from Toulouse Theater. This probably took a place around 3.30 in the morning on first Friday at Jazz Fest 2023. And then after the Vibe Junkie Jam, we're going to do an old school segment with me and one of my oldest, dearest friends, J.A., talking about summer tour. But first, some funk. Just want to drop in and say thank you and a deep bow to my man, 
Randy Bears, my trusted attorney, and Funk It Blog. It's my go-to, my right-hand man, and he's responsible for all this amazing footage from Jazz Fest 2023 and this tape and video of the Nth Power doing the Gap Band. Thanks, Randy.
All right, all right. Well, since this pod came in a little bit later than normal, and of course, since I'm back on the East Coast, I figured why not get together with the homie J.A., my man Jason Abrams, one of my hometown homies, one of my oldest friends, and indirectly responsible for inspiring me to have a podcast like 20 years ago, more than that, 25 years ago, geez, when he had a talk radio show at Camden County College called The Jason Abrams Show, of which I still have two cassette tapes, um, which I discovered not that long ago, and they're unlistenable. I sound like a jackass, but Jason's pretty funny then and now. So nonetheless, uh, traveled back east for my mom's health situation and cruised over to my man J.A.'s crib uh, in Philly. And we decided that we would do a summer tour, summer concert preview, which we did once, I think, three years ago, the the summer of 2019. We definitely did a summer tour preview once before. I want to say it was 2019. Obviously, not much was happening in 20 and 21. But so we haven't really done this for a while. He came on the pod two or three times in the early days. It's been a few years. So without any further ado, my man J.A., who I met in the press box at KISS concert, 1990 Hot in the Shade tour. Uh, Both of our dads had some kind of connections to get us tickets. They were in the press box. I recognized him from elementary school, but he was a grade older than me. Nonetheless, we crewed up and we've been thick as thieves ever since. So as a sort of a bonus, a special treat for my old school listeners, for my friends from my homies from back in the day and of course anybody who's curious what we have to say about some summer concert tours we touch on some taylor swift dead and company a little motley crew detour due to the mcmars situation and then uh, a few others uh, to boot so please enjoy me and ja talking summer tour 2023 to wrap up episode 67 of the up for life podcast i'm your host b gets Yes, indeedy. Welcome hey back to the Up for Life pod. Oh, it's my favorite podcast of the year. I love it every year when you call me. I mean, I, you know, not to brag, but I do like maybe two other podcasts. And uh, But when you call me, I always know it's going to be fun because we're going to talk about fun stuff. And this is my favorite topic, summer tours. Nothing gets me more excited than the summer tour season. I know, I know. You're always, it's kind of like draft for like <laughs> for like NFL junkies where... You get really into it, and, and you know what? It used to be more of like a coverage of like the there would be like full magazine features dedicated just Absolutely. to previewing. But in the internet era, it's just it's not as focused. So like everyone's got their best of list. But we're here in Philly. Unfortunately, I'm here in Philly not for the best reasons. My mom's having some health issues, but we were going to do this on Zoom. So now we get to do it right here in your uh, palatial estate, surrounded by. 
I'd say like 60% music, rock and roll memorabilia, 40% wrestling memorabilia. And before I press record, uh, we spent a good amount of time talking about wrestling. And, you know, man, it's crazy because I'm listening to this pod about Vincent K. McMahon. But so much of our childhood uh, is is wrapped up into the storylines of wrestling. And, and even today, like... We just we just saw this whole like global geopolitical thing with with Syria and Saudi Arabia, like real world shit play out with like one wrestler's journey. And I thought that it was a, a statement on the fact that wrestling still helps people understand the world even now. Yeah. Um, so right, they'll be in Saudi Arabia tomorrow, like which is kind of like a taboo thing. Uh, you know, they've. Saudi Arabia tries to get a lot of Western Golf entertainment. Too, right? Bieber's been over there. <laughs> um, you know, they, uh, DJs, you know, they do a lot of big shows. But uh, when they first started going over there almost a decade ago, like women weren't allowed to wrestle, you know. Now wow. women can wrestle in Saudi Arabia. Like, they, you know, they and there's been a lot of things, too, like, you know, with the outside the wrestling world that has happened with women in Saudi Arabia, like driving this and that. And they attest that to some of the Western culture that comes over and like. Um, you know, I'm not trying to it's say anything. positive or negative, yeah. it's both, because it's positive because there's people making strides now, like this guy, Sami Zayn, who's a Syrian guy, could have never gone to the Mecca and worshipped as a Muslim. It's a beautiful thing, but the reason he's able to go is because of money. 100%. So that kind of sucks, because yeah. it's not driven by, like, uh, ideals. It's like, oh, we can make more money yeah. if we let these people in, and, and we, we but, change our... Our you know our rules to accommodate this Western sport. If there's one sports thing, entertainment. If there's one thing we can get out of their greed is maybe a little drip down to the people to have more uh, opportunities. Then that's a good thing. Certainly, you know, and and I just thought it was ironic that we were talking about how we you know the communists Nikita Koloff and Nikolai <laughs> Volkov and how it was like that's how we understood the world was through like wrestling characters and then. Right today, the same shit is happening, but it's it's the kayfabe's down. It's yeah. like now it's real. Yeah. And it's kind of cool and also intense and kind of shitty at the same time. But Everyone puts on their pants and lives the life and they got to go work. And some people have these like global jobs that, you know, are just, you know, there's nothing they can do about it. You have to sometimes go, uh, for lack of a better word, go do the job somewhere. Right. <laughs> and honestly, if we're being real, like, you know. Not everyone puts on pants anymore, and some people put on like singlets if we're wrestling. This is one of my oldest, dearest friends, so we're gonna we get off track and laugh about old shit. But uh, we met for those of you who don't remember from he's been on the pod before. I've said the same thing in this very seat, but we met in at a Kiss concert. I was in fifth grade, he was in sixth grade. We went to the same elementary school. We figured it out, and we've uh, or was it? I was in fourth. You were in fifth. Who knows? It was Hot in the Shade tour, nineteen ninety. Little Caesar opened, Slaughter in the middle slot, Kiss, No Makeup, Hot in the Shade Tour. That was that was when we met. And we've been talking about music and wrestling ever since. I do the rock and wrestling podcast. I mean, my life is yeah. based on uh, the love I have for rock and wrestling. I love that. And you know what? You know, I love... Uh, you guys tackle some cool shit on the pod. It's not your average. It's, it's been on hiatus for like a year, but I'm about to join up with like a new network, so to speak, of podcasts, and they're going to um, help me out. 
I hope so, because honestly, dude, you know more <laughs> shit about more shit than the average bear. <laughs> well, and I know, you, you do. Honestly, I, you know, I consider you, at, at the very least, appear to me as like a musicologist and a cultural anthropologist. You're stronger in some areas than I am. And you have a deep well of understanding of, of areas of entertainment that people love. I mean, the biggest shit in the world are concerts and wrestling and nobody can really match sports. you on with uh, sports too and you can movies, hang in sports movies. too i don't know anything about movies i'm yeah, a movie well, guy let's talk about <laughs> big concerts. summer tours big, big, big well, summer movies big, big summer tours <laughs> big big some just big okay <laughs> let me ask you this straight up is because because you just came through here and you showed me the video of an entire stadium full of people, and then a whole nother stadium full of people outside the stadium, 20, 30,000 deep in the streets, three nights, Taylor. Uh, Taylor gating. Right, Taylor gating. <laughs> Taylor Mania, okay. Is this bigger than than like a Thriller or Bad Era Michael Jackson? Would have to say that's the only thing you could probably compare it to. Uh, three nights in a football stadium in every city is too small for this performer. It's something that we've never seen before. Uh, you know, of course, at the Michael Jackson shows. I mean, there's just people getting passed passing out left and right. Like. Uh, just seeing him, people have such emotion, you know, and like. But some of that stuff we've learned of a scripted, like some of those scenes of Bedlam and Total Mania, were 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 was filmmaking. But you, but that Reddit post you showed me a Taylor gating was not. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Well, let's talk about the ticket price to begin with. Uh, people are paying a thousand dollars to sit in the worst seat in the house at a football stadium. So. You know, she's going to look like a bug, you know. Uh, $1,000, you, you know, uh, you and I probably wouldn't pay to sit in the first five rows for our favorite rock bands or, or something like that, you know, like on a final tour, like something that would be like... And this is just one night yeah, of, it's, it's, of it's, 70 on a world she tour. She does $15 million a night, and the crazy number about all this, the 50,000 people outside, the 80,000 she's only 33 years old. She's going to be doing this for another three decades. I think, you know, look, there was a time where I, I demonized someone like Taylor Swift, just like not her personally, but like the what she represented as like a recording artist and like sort of like unfairly lumped her in as like, you know, the next wave of Britney and Christina Aguilera and et cetera. And, I, you know, that's just me making a snap judgment from way far away, not giving a shit 10, 12 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, the, the Kanye incident, you know, was very polarizing for both. It made people love or hate him. It made people really rally behind her or then 
when Kanye's whole like life spiraled out of control after that incident, it made people kind of demonize her like and and all along she was fucking cool as shit and graceful and tried to do the right thing and and he was the bad guy but she kind of got pa- painted as this like bitch or this sort of like snooty kind of fucking elitist and none of that was true it was just like media drama and then some douchebag tried to like buy her catalog out from underneath her did what it, right what i'm saying and instead of acquiescing she f- said fuck you and re-recorded her whole catalog. And how much do her fans love her? That they're out there buying those albums. They already own new versions so that they can supplant the old version so that she can get paid. Like, I, I the level of stannery, fandom, dedication, loyalty. I mean, I don't even have to like the music. I've never seen uh, an artist capture, like, multiple generations like this. This deep. Yeah. Maybe MJ? Maybe. Maybe. But I, and the important thing is, too, it's it's not like this um, one-hit wonder type, like, you know, like, no-depth pop um, gum music. It, you know, she's writing real songs. Like, right. these people are getting the same thing that the fans that are going to see Bruce Springsteen. They're getting the same emotion. They're they're conquering the same issues. They're ba- they're able to uh, handle relationships different because of these songs. Like so, it's not just like you know, A B C one two three. You know. Sure, and, but I, I think her writing has evolved as she's gotten older and more mature. And like you know, so she's got like her pop album, her, her albums, her country albums. You know, she has some music that's you know kind of nods to Beyonce or whatever. You know, she's influenced by stuff that's out there but there's only one taylor swift and honestly i never gave a shit i never was moved by the music i never i only somewhat like kind of felt sorry for her when when, like people were cruel to her after the kanye thing but she won that dude (laughs) is fucking way the hell out there and she is literally the biggest artist in the world I mean, maybe, you know, like, Bad Bunny might have put up comparable numbers globally. Not even. Right. It, but you the, know, it, that's one guy, one cycle. It's, it's one guy, and it's one year. Right. You know, or, you know, we're going on, like, the third year of Bad Bunny, right. so to speak. I, I don't know what it was, like, I think 10, 15. 15 years ago. I think ago. we're 15 years into the Taylor so, Swift. So her, so her first tour, she opens up for um, Tim McGraw, I think. And then her next tour, if you look at it... Um, she plays a couple like high schools and like some college basketball arenas, and by the end of the tour, she's playing Gillette Stadium, and that's her first tour. So she, it was stadiums by the end of the first tour, and then stadiums basically from there on. She like she played you know five nights at the uh, in L.A. the Staples Center stuff like that, but like you know to see her in a hockey arena must be like a huge deal for her fans. It's like a, a underplay. <laughs> The hockey arena underplay. Yeah, I'm just blown away by it, and I, I just you can't do uh, any a, a preview or discuss the summer tour without yeah, starting with her. I just can't. But you know, like people are like, oh, fish this and that, and like or Bruce, yeah. or you think of these artists that like sell out wherever they go. But this is another fucking tier. Yeah, and I, I think like maybe you got you got like Beatlemania, MJ. And I think you can say her name in that breath. yeah. And that's fucking crazy, dude. It is. I, and uh, on TikTok, I see these um, TikToks that popped up, like, of, you know, the fans in other countries that don't speak English. And they just know every single word. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But God bless them. 
Dead and Company. All right. The final tour. I know Brian already got to see one of the shows, if but you want to call it that. Um, it, it it's starting to pick up now that they're getting into the tour. Uh, okay, well, you, I'm going to let you lead the way on this one. Before we get into the Kreutzmann stuff, um, we've talked in the past on the air. Actually, we did like a Mayor Dead and Co segment way back, and then we've talked a million times off off air. And I'm going to just rip this bubbler real quick. And when they say final tour, let's put that in perspective, fans. It's the final tour. That does not mean Mexico is off the table. That does not mean a residency at the Sphere in Las Vegas is going to happen. Yes, on Brian's podcast, you heard it first. They will probably be playing the Sphere in Las Vegas. This, like this, within I, a year. I'm saying this iteration, like like the mayor, John Mayer, and, and Bob, Bob Weir, Weir and, and Mickey. Maybe. I guess the new core four is John Mayer, uh, Bob Weir, um, Mickey, Mickey, and, well, I was going to say um, O'Teal and uh, Cementi. <laughs> Cementi. But yeah, I guess you got to talk about Mickey. <laughs> well, I mean, Mickey sometimes takes shows off too. Oh, uh, he's doing really awesome this tour too. He's standing up in Simple right Heart. You, you, might, you might say. Uh, that this is the, the the final tour and they'll do the sphere. But my opinion is if the health is there for all these guys, Shapiro is going to do GD60. Where, who knows? And certainly won't be quite what Fairly Well was. And I don't even know, you know, I don't know anything other than I was at the Park City Song Summit last year and he gave a speech there. Like a roundtable discussion, him and Jay Sweet from Newport Folk Festival, and Jay Blakesburg was in there, and he and Pete flat out said, "If they'll do it, we'll do it." Like he said it publicly in the spot. So I'm saying, if there's enough dollars and cents, I think uh, you might see that. But but we're not talking about that. Yeah. We're talking well, well, about but, this. But, but yeah, real quick, uh, it it makes sense, and 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 I know people will be like, "How can you compare these?" But like. Yeah, Motley Crue said, that's it, we're done. And, you know, now they're on tour again. Um, <laughs> I will say They signed say in that? blood. You know, like, hey, this is our final chores. <laughs> right. You know, like, yeah, they made a big deal about it. Press conference with uh, the president of the Live Nation. Why, why did, what was the reason to come, then why did they come the, back? Because the, uh, the Netflix movie was so popular that they had to play for this new generation of fans. <laughs> that movie was terrible. The book is great, but the movie's terrible. But uh, we're going to talk McMars, too. But I want to talk Kreutzmann. And then we'll talk a little bit about Dead & Co. Like, I, I, I was kind of bored by the Jazz Fest show. I'm told 
the Cornell second set was next level. And, dude, people are raving about the forum. And honestly, dude, when I hear him count off Minglewood and I can get to the corner store and buy a 40 and get back before the first verse starts, I know, you know, I'm not going to be digging this. And I know it's like <laughs> I know dead and slow. I know for a good time. <laughs> you know, dead and slow, whatever. I, I, I yeah, just... Yeah, no, it's been picked up a lot more, but either way. Look, do you think that that's a Jay Lane situation? Do you think that Absolutely. that's Bob Weir listening to the fans saying, well, people no, say we're playing no, slow. because the fans have been saying that for three years. Right, but Weir calls the... If you watch, he... He counts the band yeah. in. I think it's I think it's uh it's a Jay Lane factor. No, I think it's a reactionary. People are talking shit. So we're final gonna... tour, a little bit of excitement. They want to bring new umph to the song. I think everything about this has been a fucking disgraceful commodified cash grab. Okay. Irving Azoff on down, Mayor, all that stuff. And this is somebody who was in jail during GD50. I had every reason to want to enjoy Dead & Company because I was excluded from GD50. But if you're going to make all this pomp and circumstance and send them off and then immediately do some fucking cover band version of the real band immediately, it felt like a cash grab, which clearly it was. And then now, all these years later, they're kind of repackaging the whole send-off fairly well <laughs> in a final, quote, tour. And then they can't even keep... The drum, Bill the drummer. So, what the fuck is that about? Why, why is well, Bill not playing? I didn't get to finish my comparison with Molly Cruz, so, but you, you helped me out. It's the rock and roll business. That's what they do. Like, they, um, bands just make, you know, like one, it, it's your money. Go grab it, you know? Like, and don't forget, and, it, and it's, I'm not saying like Bob Weir gets out of the bed in the morning and says he wants to make money. No, Bob Weir is a musician. That plays music for a living, and he gets paid a lot of money to do it. I get that, but the your pack, the, the whole like marketing packaging of Fare Thee Well, then in Dead and Company, now we're saying goodbye to the final time. How many times do we say goodbye to the Grateful Dead songbook? Yeah, I mean, they have. We said goodbye to the the Dead. That's we what said I'm trying to say to you, to like, I, I, without like saying like. You know, because people take it a lot more serious than other bands, and I don't want to offend anyone, but the Grateful Dead are no different than Motley Crue and Kiss or when it comes. Who? When it comes, the Who never had a final, final. Yes, thing. they did. Like eighty. They, oh yeah, eighty nine, eighty nine, eighty yeah. nine, eighty nine. It was called the. Final. I'm sorry, my head was thinking <laughs> the Stones. People always say the Stones. No, the, the, the Stones never had a final tour. That's what I mean. But uh, <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. But. It, they're they're always going to be out there as long as people want to see them. That's just how it is. But, you know, it's like when Jay-Z retired as a rapper, then he came back. Okay, so... <coughs> How many times did Shawn Michaels retire? Uh, HBK can do what he wants, you know. That said, back to Bill, okay? So, they, the Fare Thee Well thing happens. Trey, the core four, it's, it's beautiful, right? And then immediately, they peel off the Rhythm Devils and Bobby with Mayer. So now, all these years later, they're, they're amping you up for the final tour. They got the Let's Cornell revisited. The table. I mean, that guy's... He's great, but he's yeah. not a part. He's a fucking hired gun. He's the okay? head of the jam world I right think now. he's better than fucking mayor for the situation, but that doesn't matter. I think they're all great together. They're... Whatever. Jason, listen to me here. Stop avoiding the Kreutzmann thing. Why can they... In your opinion... Did they have to force him out, or did, or did this happen? This fissure, at the last minute, is it health? Is it drama? Is it money? Like, how do you lose an OG? I could see. Okay, we don't have a teal for the final tour, or heaven forbid, we don't have mayor for the final tour, but no Bill the drummer. That's a fucking deal breaker. 
Um, well, as you know, leading up to this final tour, he had missed tons yes. of shows, so to speak, uh, on tours before this. Even uh, would leave mid-show, uh, mid-sets, right, mid-songs, etc. So why not announce it like that? This is a health... Bill's not able to play. He it's, came down to Jazz Fest and sat it's, in it's and played his own Billing the Kids uh, shit. Reiterate the fact. It's, it's a... Scummy business. It's not called Music Friends. It's okay, but music why, why are they doing they, it? Why? Because they, they're selling tickets, so they held out to the last minute. They knew They knew Bill Kreitzman probably was not playing two weeks before. But why are they not using his health? Why are they saying creative differences, and then he's out playing until four in the morning in New Orleans? It's, it's a simple... Pre- I mean, I, I can't defend them. I mean, uh, we, I'm we know that they're just opinion. Yeah. Why did this happen... Two weeks my, out. My opinion is the, they knew he probably wasn't playing a while ago, and they just wanted to continue to sell tickets. But I'm saying, but the hell... Okay, so let's say they announce it when they did and all that, but why creative differences? And then he goes out and plays gigs instead of saying, hey, one, I, I think people would be understanding. Like, one, shit, gig, one gig is uh, a whole lot different than going <coughs> on a stadium rock tour. You have to go through a, uh, t- a, uh, uh, a insurance thing to, right. to go on a tour. So it's possible he maybe he didn't pass the test. Okay, then why not say so? Why this creative dip? What, what kind they're of not, creative? They're dip- not. They're not going to um, diminish the guy if that's you know they're giving the opportunity. You think this is the first time that they lied to the fans? No, I'm saying creative differences is such a how can you have create right. how can you have creative differences on songs you've been playing together for sixty five years? <laughs> exactly. That's my point. It, yeah, it's, I mean, we it all read through it. Yeah, yeah. our intelligence. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, so does wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't understand what you're getting at. I'm getting at the fact that I feel betrayed already. Dead and Company <laughs> feels like a betrayal of Fairly okay. Well to begin with. I and agree. And now we're losing Billy Kay. I'm not interested okay, in Okay, theoretically, seeing... it feels like a betrayal, but musically, it doesn't. I really enjoyed what Dead & Company brought to Some say they they were better than the Trey well. Well, I mean, well. It's, I, I think that's silly to compare them to because they got to play seven shows together at, at, at with a, right. a few, two, three weeks of practicing. These guys, they get to... for six years. Yeah, I mean, they're playing in stadiums together with the monitors and everything, getting to learn how to real physically play together, you know, as opposed to what, you know... All right, guys. <laughs> Trey's in a dungeon trying to learn songs. Why those yeah. guys are out, you know, thinking about where they're gonna buy their next jet. You think they, uh, the hired guns made a bunch of money in Dedico? Like um, the Chimentis and well, the well, Mayor did for sure. John Mayor, of course he did. He makes a lot more money on his own than he does with Dead and Company, so he's not gonna take a pay cut. Does he? He sells out hockey arenas by himself, and he's got you know he has hired guns, so it's all his money. The trio. Actually, he's selling out hockey arenas right now with an acoustic show. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, that guy, he's, he's, he's got a fan base, nothing like uh, Taylor, but uh, Taylor's fans turned on him, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. Well, speaking of fans turning, you know, uh, one of my first concerts was Motley Crue on the Dr. Feelgood Tour in 89. And uh, we've always kind of enjoyed Motley, even in tongue-in-cheek. They're not even really on tour in the U.S. this summer. Last summer was their U.S. Yeah. tour. But we got to talk Mick Mars, because that's, that's Bill Kreutzmann-level betrayal. Uh, once again, it, 
They forced him out, and then they told us it was his call that he couldn't tour anymore. And then, of course, he comes out saying it wasn't, and he's suing the band now. And he's saying they're playing the backing tracks, and he was the only one live. And then Bob Rock, did you see that, came out today and said Nikki Six doesn't play on most of the Motley Crue records. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Dude, honestly, Nikki, I can't fucking stand him anymore. He used to be the baddest dude. Now, everything from the fucking make-believe heroin diaries bullshit to this. He, every, he acts like he's like this arbiter of cool, and he's the biggest fucking tool, and he can't play. And but the bottom line is, he can do whatever he wants, as far as I'm concerned. But dissing Mick Mars, who carried this band, who's the only reason that they ever had like a legitimate like sound... You know what I mean? They had to hire, like, the greatest hired gun guitar player. The Josh to Freeze of guitar work. To cover this guy's riffs, bro. Right. Like, I mean, this guy wrote the greatest. So, now, they, they, they say, mix out. He doesn't want to tour anymore. Then they try to form new LLCs with new splits. So, Mick doesn't get the same percentage of, of whatever his split was. Some people say, hey, well, he's not in the band anymore, so why would he get the same split? Well, that wasn't the deal when he agreed to step away. But the biggest problem is the fact that they they lied on him and dissed him and said he was, like, fucking up, not playing the right shit. And, like, coming from Nicky, <laughs> it's the most preposterous shit ever. Yeah, two, and, two of the other guys on stage aren't playing the right shit either. <laughs> right, and, and they're just such a joke. So that, then, magically, out of nowhere... They get added to this NFL draft party, yeah, yeah, yeah. which they clearly were playing live because it was so bad, like and I'm and, and just terrible. So I got. You think say, they were trying to prove a point? Yeah, that night, I like, do. oh, we play live because of the, you know the allegations were right there the week before, exactly. Two weeks before, and they came out and just shit the bed, which you know. Because if were. you notice in their in their live shows, like Nikki's backup mic is like flying through the air, and he like <laughs> stops and sings it, and then it keeps moving. And fucking Vince, he stares at it like the sun. But I do think that they record them like it's really Vince, current Vince singing because it's yeah, still yeah, yeah. shitty. Yeah. But he's definitely singing along to a backing track. A hundred percent, especially for like certain things. Like I, okay, like during like the verses, you know, he's got to sing, right. you know. But like even help, then, I think he's singing along to a backing track. Maybe on uh, some easier songs, but there's times like when there's no, you can totally tell because he walks away and there's like nothing. Right. Right. But or like the shouts on shout. Yeah, those I mean, are pumped. Those in. are the same ones from the pump. Yeah. They've been pumping that one. Or you know, he's the one who called Doctor Fickle. But you, we used to think it was yeah. the nurses singing that shit, but there was backing tracks back then too. It, it, the whole the band is a fraud. <laughs> I, let, let it be known. And I've like, dude, I'm the type of dude that sits and watches these like YouTube videos of these dudes like dissecting Motley's performance. Like, there's Tommy's hi hats, but he's not even sitting on the kit yet. You know, like breaking it down. It, it, yeah, now I remember that one. <laughs> it's crazy what they've turned into, but whatever. I mean, it's just another example of like how you know people don't really care. They're more in it for the entertainment. You know, they saw this movie and they want to be to see them again. You know. Desire burning, the never ending, quenchless craving, the unforgiving. 
you think of Metallica, new album, tour? Are you feeling the 72 season? Because they're another one of our favorite bands. And actually, even all the shit that they've been through, they, they haven't betrayed or embarrassed us like, like a Motley Crue. I still yeah, love Metallica. 100%. But the new album doesn't really click for it's me It's okay. Yet. The, the, the last few records, there's been like... Um, some really high points to them, and then like you know some filler. I you know I hate to say stuff like that about such great musicians because even the even them on their worst track is like still better than like Shine Down or something you know. <laughs> but this once again Metallica reinventing themselves, doing something fun for themselves, doing something fun for the fans to make the show fun. So they're gonna come to every city. Play two shows, and it's going to be a completely different show each night. Obviously, their catalog is humongous, and they can do that, you know, and it's going to be so fun each night, especially for those diehard Metallica fans that are going to go both nights. But do you think they're going to date? Well, dude, plenty of us go both nights. Metallica played in San Francisco. I went two nights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm more like wondering do you think that it's just going to be like the same two set lists kind of back and forth? Or do you think that they're going to be playing like fucking weird, like sweet amber? Deep yeah, no. Cuts if you look, shit. they're they're yeah, they're playing. They're, it's it's not just like, like reload side B. It's not just like a fifty song pool. It's so it's 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 only been a couple nights in Europe, and it's already you know there's songs that don't get played in every city. You know, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, they got the Pantera opening. Right. Which, I was going to get to that, but I want to first, you know. We can talk about Pantera. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's, 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 the Metallica it, thing, like, I respect them because they're, like, still give a shit, still put out new music, and at the same time, it's when you go to the show, it's a nostalgia thing. What I think about them, too, what they do now, is they're very collaborative with, like, people outside of Metallica. You know, that they're willing to help, like, create ideas with, create stage, create art with, and that's what happened here. You know, someone threw an idea at them. I'm sure it wasn't theirs. Like, it kind of reminiscent of uh, that video that goes around where Kirk Hammett brings up fish during one of right. their um, talking about rehearsals. Yeah, well, I guess so. Metallica films some of the rehearsal every night for the fan club. You know, they they do a lot of stuff for their fan club. It's very yeah, expensive, but uh, you know, for like twenty five hundred, they'll come shake your hand and give you a guitar pick. Right. Or when the like, Orion Festival, you get tons of perks if you were in the fan club. So Kirk Hammock, you know, uh, he's like, "Oh, we sounded uh, real fishy there because I got into a jam." You know, I think Lars brings it up. He's like, "Oh, they're playing thirteen nights or Madison Square Garden, and they're playing a different uh, song the whole time. You know, different songs, never repeating songs." And James goes, oh my god, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> you right. know, I guess 13 nights is a lot, but uh, James isn't worried to tackle two nights of no repeats. He's got some issues, James. I mean, not besides the, the issues we know about. In terms of like stage fright and whatever, do you remember? He had like an on-stage emotional break down in South America where he needed like hugs and shit. And I'm, I'm just saying, it's yeah. beautiful that a guy like James is willing to be that emotional. But I think like when you see him... He, he's not the type of dude that wants to rehearse 200 songs so that all of them are ready to go. He wants to have two nights worth of killers. Yeah. And they might, you know, mix one more in here or there. And they jam, like, um, every night, like, uh, Trujillo and Kirk Hammock will, like, intertwine jam. That's and hardly stuff. a jam. Yeah, That's, like, fun. band practice. Like, ride on D, like, you know, and then ACDC jam. It's
Now, you talk about Pantera. I'm anti-Pantera reunion. I think it's another commodification. It's a, it's like a dead-end company, but metal. Music you know? friends. Why? Why, are we, why? why do we have to have like 50-something-year-old Phil who can't sing or move and Rex plus Char... I love Charlie. I love Anthrax. And fucking Zach Wilde. This is some bullshit. This is just some... Again... So another generation can hear Pantera songs? 100%. So the, the, the best thing you can do like when you get to a certain you know, level in the music business is like then you go away for a little bit. You know? It doesn't matter who you are. Fallout Boy, whoever. You, know, you go away for five years and then you're way more popular than you were because a whole new generation crop of people now you know, that want to see your music plus your original fans, etc., now you got a band that's been away for 21 years, or we'll take it. I'll take it as you know to what you're saying, a brand name that's been away for 21 years, and people are like, "Fuck, how can we put this together?" It's been talked about for years and years, you know, and they it's finally a got the, subject. Yeah, Anthrax is like playing shows, like with I know, some like with other another drummer, right? <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. It is crazy, you know. It, it's like ruining the business. <laughs> I just like and I loved Pantera and then obviously some of the you know some Rogan of the, the stuff music friends. you can't really get behind some of their imagery and the racist stuff with Phil but you know I've always loved Pantera but I just I'm not interested in seeing this fucking offshoot now once again to, to over to you know you know is is you think Phil is a racist or you think Phil is a dummy that says stupid shit on I stage? think he probably was and then maybe, hopefully, maybe kind of matured or learned from his, like, public scolding. But they say the alcohol is, like, you know, just kind of makes you be who you really are. And mm -hmm. he was at... Okay, so, sidebar. We already know he said to the press that Dime should be beaten before Dime was murdered, right? We know that. And that's why he wasn't welcome in the, in the Abbott family for a while. I wasn't allowed at the funeral, right? So, but then, over time, Vinny aside... The family called Rita Dimes, former lady. You know, they were never married, but basically his widow, right? She says, okay, Phil, you can play Dime Bash this year. So Phil and a band come together to play Dime Bash. Phil gets so fucked up. And he's like, Sieg hailing and white power, this and that on stage, right? So do I, I think he's a racist? I don't know, but... When he got really fucked up at a dime memorial show, he fucking started doing Hitler shit. Yeah. So it's hard. And then again, people say he, that changed him, and he got his life to cut together since then. And he but he's still a man in his like late thirties at that point. Or, yeah, or, you know, early like, you know, you have to assume like you know he, yes. he, he's, he, he has. Uh, his... So I don't know whether he is or isn't. I do know that uh, countries in Europe that have like severe like anti-Nazi yeah. laws won't let them play. Oh. Crazy. So that tells you what you need to know. I know Sammy Zayn's allowed to go to Saudi Arabia, but Phil Anselmo yeah. can't go to. I Germany. think if he would come out, you know, and, and address it again and be yeah. like, "Hey, like, you look, dude, I was fucked up, and yeah. here's what I learned." I think people would be inclined to forgive. But and I'm not holding a grudge. It's like I hold more of a grudge against Michael Travis from String Cheese Incident than I do against Phil Anselmo. You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, so you're saying and that guy made one bad Facebook post. <laughs> Uh, but you're saying if you give the generic uh, 
response, you'll forgive him. No, this is a decade later. No. I'm, I'm saying now, a decade later, if he would come out and be like, here's what I've learned uh, in the 10 years since I did this dumb shit. Okay. Not two weeks later, publicist type up. Yeah, the yeah, no, that's speech. what I'm saying. So I thought, uh, you know, that just what's like popped in my head. So yeah. it was a bad thing. I think 10 years is a long time. But, of course. Okay, before but, we get into fish, which is probably what the average person wants to hear us talk about, um, what, what excites you this summer? You well, know, the Foo Fighters I, just got back on the road with the right. new drummer that you mentioned before. Josh Freese. Okay, what do you think about that choice? But, uh, yeah, no, they went with the greatest drummer, like, you could hire for this situation. The John Five. Uh, yeah, the John, <laughs> exactly. Like, so, it's a perfect fit. Um, the, I watched some of the YouTube f- from the other night, and, like, um, that, you know, drum solo at the end of There Goes My Hero, or I guess is that's the name of the song, what happened, I'm not a big foo guy. Me either. Uh, but he crushes it, it looked great, people were helping, it was very awesome. Do you think... He's the he's awesome. He, do you he played, think he, though, he was that, in the replacements? No pun yeah, intended. He was in Guns N' Roses <laughs> yeah. for fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. Offspring for yeah. fifteen minutes. He never played a show with Guns N' Roses. Yeah, but he was the his name was attached to them yes. for a while. Yes. All right, and like that when the when like Youth was producing and like Zach Wilde was coming in to play guitar, like. But hey, do you think other than Taylor is that the biggest ticket? Foo Fighters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what's becoming the surprise tour this summer. I think there are about three shows in. I've watched uh, some of it. The Cure. No surprise here, bro. I knew it was going to be huge. Yeah, it's opening time down on Fascination Street. Let's cut the conversation. Get out of He's like having so much fun on stage, Robert Smith. He does. I'm uh, gonna go. Yeah, you should. Um, and uh, there, I've seen some like uh, TikToks of him at the hotel where he's in non-black clothing and stuff. It's what just, does he look like in like it, non-Robert it, Smith? He's Robert wearing Smith. shorts, bro. It's oh so my god, funny. You got. I'll have to show it to you. When no we're makeup. Yeah, and he just you know he's just sitting there having fun just with the fans in the lobby. You know, it's just something you've never seen. I, I guess you know. Everyone didn't have a phone like this, especially the last time they were out, like, you know. Of course not. Well, and, he had all that. The, he was tweeting a lot about the Ticketmaster on sales. And he, he actually got people $10 back. Yeah, he got people a lot. 10 bucks. And, and uh, their merchandise is cheap, too. It's like $25 shirts, like $30, $40 hoodies. So I've said it to people. Would you rock a Cure hoodie? I would. Yeah, I, yeah though, these guys are amazing. Hey. The go-to smiles with them vows. Bling, bling, bling. Uh, 
Another one of your favorites uh, back on the road and, and, and stepping it up to bigger places, Erica Badu. I know. I'm concerned. The arena tour? I mean, granted, she sold out the Greek. Uh, so that's the next step. Yeah. But arenas? Yeah, Badu? I mean, soul, soul singers do well. I mean, as long as you know how to control uh, the audience. They should be doing like Madison Square Garden yeah. Theater, like the way they did for like uh, G- the, the, the Buckethead era guns. Yeah, you know? a, a Sade played arenas. Sade what? is fucking... Like I'm, I thought you were just talking about he, maybe the the music itself wouldn't no, go over Chardet well. No, plays once every 12, 15 yeah. years. Speaking of one every twelve years, uh, uh, Duran Duran they tour every other year, but it's Duran Duran touring with uh, Chic this summer, which they always tour together. Those two bands have been touring together for so it's, years. It's like so much cocaine. But in your in New York, it's Duran Duran, uh, Chic, Grace Jones. Okay. When is the last time Grace Jones played a show? Are She's booked at me? the Blue Note this summer. Also. Wow, we should go catch one. Yeah, it's if you're I around. saw it on the schedule. She's on the Blue Note, but yeah, I guess she's getting back into it. Let me ask you this, because you, I, you know, I, shout out to my man Johnny who who talked to me about Turnstile the first time I met him. But you got Turnstile Blink on there, and I, and I'm turn I hear Turnstile's name everywhere. Uh, so A, I'm wondering, do they even need to open for Blink? They're already on their way. And B, does Blink? Okay, I hate fucking Blink, but I, you've always loved them. <laughs> do they? Does it need to be Hoppest along and fucking Travis? Because they toured as Blink without one yeah, of them, right? But it didn't. It, it didn't do this. It, 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 the, you know, so this is considered like, like a quote unquote reunion. Yeah, it's a huge deal. Are they playing the, hockey arenas? Yeah, sold out like crazy ticket prices. They just played Madison Square Garden the other night. Two nights at Madison Square Garden. Uh, they're playing, you know, where the Sixers play when they come to Philly. Are they getting they're like headlining. soccer dads? Like, who's yeah, coming I mean, to these yeah, shows? their fans are now in their forties. You know, um, and, Still and fart well, jokes um, but and once shit? again, but once again, also all those young kids. Oh yeah, you should, and then they, like the Kardashian vibe, right? There, that's part of it now too, right? Doesn't Barker? As, it, they, they headlined Coachella, so it was like days after right. the Dalai Lama kissing the kid, you know. Oh, and they made it so. Of course, they had to make a joke about it. They're like, "Oh, I just got back from the Dalai Lama kissing booth." You oh. know? <laughs> Some shit like that, but you know, yeah, they're still topical if, if that's what you're asking. Oh my god, <laughs> that's terrible. But they, uh, yeah, back to what you're saying. I don't know why Turnstile did it, except for they probably just love Blink 182 because they're you gonna. Think that's what it is. Yeah. They don't need this. They're no, fucking not at all. They're, they're gonna wind up playing hockey arenas on their own someday, if not, you know, sooner but, than later. So, at what point in time does a hardcore band sell out? Because Turnstile, like you said, is hate five six. They're core. They they came from the ground up. They like have the indie cred, the hardcore cred. Yet like they're playing this fucking like hot topic tour with fucking Blink, and then they're gonna other be... hardcore bands will now become successful too because uh, of them. You yeah. think they'll be bigger than Hatebreed? Oh, there are. I mean, it's funny you say that. Um, I was at like at the tattoo shop a couple months ago, and uh, we were talking about like you know Hatebreed is the biggest hardcore band of all time, but mm-hmm. you know obviously now it's Turnstile. Like you know their song was in a Taco Bell commercial. You know. <laughs> Well, right there, that's not too hardcore. That's not, I mean, that's not their fault. I mean, that they got we'll so popular. You know, like, what are you going to do? Not take the money? You have to. It's called the music business. I said that 50 times today, I know. 
But like that's what it is. Like you know, people start sending you these offers. You never thought you would Some get guys that offer. Stay core for life. Yeah, you know, like the Fugazi guy yeah. and McKay. Like people have always tried to. Very fight. few and far between. The Clash never did it. The Clash right. were offered more money than you could imagine. It might have happened. You know, he unfortunately even Rage didn't. cracked. Yeah. And then, and then but Karma. they didn't really like. They cracked. They got back together and started taking checks to play arenas. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, like, what do you mean they cracked? They, 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 well, they were like, we're going out on top, you know, like, went, biggest band in the world, no amount of money is going to lure us back. They came back in, uh, whatever, 09, they, Coachella, like, and, and like a few festival hits. Wait, did they like make a statement like, we're done? Like, yeah. Okay, I, I forgot. I, I, yeah, okay. and then and they came for Zach so many times, and then Prophets of Rage, you know. you know, like, Which he didn't approve of. No. Yeah. And then they, yeah, that was a tour. I think maybe the last time we did one of these, okay. we talked about the forthcoming Rage tour. Okay. Yeah, which, which, which I, I never got of, to see. I saw one of the nights in Madison Square Garden. It was amazing. They canceled Absolutely. us because of the injury, and... Honestly, I'm lucky that, you know, I was at the Electric Factory in 96, so I don't... Yeah, you know, no, you saw the real deal. And, and I saw him in on the Battle battle Tour also with Gangstar. I saw him at the truck. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I walked by the former truck yesterday. On my, I went to Dave's to get some Chinese. Yeah. It's tough to see the truck like that. Yeah. It's we tough. saw so many... What was your favorite you could, truck you... show ever? Rage. Yeah? Um, I would say mine was probably Cinderella. I saw um, the Counting Crows play there under a fake name. That was pretty crazy. I wish we got to see that Blind Melon show there. Rollins Band on the end of the Silence tour. Wow. Yeah. Dave O'Connor. He was playing Stage Halloween. dived, and not one person caught him, and you heard the thump. Oh, it was tremendous. He, he felt terrible. I felt terrible. Everyone felt terrible. I haven't heard the, the DOC for a long time. <laughs> All right, let's finish with the fish from Vermont. Yep. There, well, you saw, I guess, as part of the spring tour. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah, I saw Three Nights at the Greek. So it's funny, my cousin just hit me up talking to me about how great he, he listened back to Hollywood. Um, where, okay, from the outside looking in, what were your thoughts of the spring tour? I thought it was, you know, the whole thing's great. Like, I don't think, like, Fish has, it's so different than, like, you know, the Grateful Dead, so to speak. Like, because that's, like, I guess where we are. Uh, when you say the Grateful Dead, do you mean Dead and Company? Or you no, mean, no, like, the, the Grateful, Grateful Dead. Dead. Okay. Like, because like, that's where we get, like, all of our, like, sports uh, talk music talk comparison, you know, right. when it comes to the, yeah. So, I feel like you know, Fish has so much more like material this and that than they play from, and they've they've gone in a little bit of a different direction in their latter years. So it's like hard to like dissect it like that. Whereas like I thought the whole thing was like you know, they just get on stage and they it perform magic every night. You know, uh, some nights the magic isn't as magical but it's always magic yeah i mean there was a time where i was super hypercritical and then there was a time where i could give a shit and i kind of was like over it and then after the well several times i've come back to it and kind of with my tail between my legs and been like i really love this band when you Uh, see something so special like 200 300 times uh even the specialness w- will sometimes wear off on you, but you then realize, oh my God, this is so special. Right. <laughs> well, what, what was funny is like everybody was raving about the first night of the Greek with that tweezer and, and the simple that followed. And look, part of the tweezer was great and the simple was great. And I, I, lo- I enjoyed myself, but at no time really was I like totally blown away. 
And then the next night they played like tons of sappy, slow ballads and that normal fish nerd critical guy that I am would be like, it's fucking boring. But I was there with my wife and we're at the Greek and the moon is huge. And I was like, fucking love Farmhouse. What? You know, like, so it's set in setting. And so my whole reaction was like, I had an amazing time at the shows, but I didn't really think that the shows were great fish shows. I just love the experience. Uh, you, you can, That's where uh, I'm at with it right now, in general. If you ever want to just have an awesome time, you you know what to do. Right. But at the same time, my cousin says, they're playing in Hollywood, it's as good as it gets. You know? And it's like, well, some wow. lights are Some lights, they get there, but... All right, what are you looking forward to? Are you just doing um, the garden? No, I'm going to go to uh, nine shows. We'll see two at The Man and seven at Madison Square Garden. Wow, when's The Man? Uh, I guess the two nights before The Garden, like July something. I'm just trying to think. I might have to come back for mom stuff. Might accidentally fall into some fish shows. I accidentally saw you at a Chicago fish concert. That was a true accident. <laughs> that that story deserves its own pod someday. Always right. a pleasure. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I, we should do this more often. We have good conversations. People always like it. You're doing nine shows, so I guess that's just seven at the Garden. Seven at the Garden. And two at the Man. Yeah. And no dicks. I have. Um, I think they've played Madison Square Garden seventy something times. I've missed four. It's crazy how that fucking Harry Styles came through and stole the belt from them. Not really. He 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 is the king of MSG. Come on, you just Tri- just looking for anything to give him a little fun. No, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Harry's house. No pun intended. No, it's if anything, it's Billy Joel who sucks. No, no. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, man. It's Harry's house. It's not Harry's house, bro. We'll see him in ten years. What he's doing? All right. You got. You got to do it for a little bit. Trey's been doing it since the nineties, bro. Kiss my ass, you fucking tool. <laughs> <laughs>